Welcome to Full River, Florida True Crime Podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. This is a special episode because I'm going to try to, with your help, figure out who killed Officer Walter Stathers. Uh, it becomes focused as a number one primary objective to find out who the hell did it. I received the information uh, that morning when I went to work that a Coral Gables cop had been killed. And on that very day that I, uh, after Saturday had been killed, I uh, had an informant that was, uh, I, I knew him, I could trust him. And so I contacted Bubba that, that morning about noontime. I laid some facts out to Bubba what I had known, that I had in my knowledge. Bubba taken and uh, became interested when he, his ears perked up at that particular time, I think it was $500 reward. I told Bubba to don't count numbers. I said, if you get me the man that did it, I said, it'll be a, a lot more than that. Now, this crime happened in the 1960s, so it's a while back. I mean, I was born in the 60s. That's how old this is, this case. But on the morning of December 19th, 1967, Officer Stathers was on his regular patrol at about three in the morning. His final worksheet showed that he responded to a disturbance at 5740 St. Vincent Street in Coral Gables. Now, Officer Stathers worked for Coral Gables Police. And the officer you just heard was John Hayward, former police officer with the city of Miami for 36 years, who had the informant named Bubba. So uh, Bubba said, I'll see what I can do. Well, the information I had was very meager, except that uh, what had not been released through the press was just only that uh, Stathers' gun was gone. And uh, that had not hit the news media. So I described the gun to him and told him uh, he'll identify it as a police officer's gun because it was all fancy down up with the plastic grips. And uh, it, uh, everybody, it was an eye catcher. So I said, whoever got it, got him. And he might have shot him with his own damn gun. Now, first on the scene was Officer Harley. He saw a set of headlights. Well, it turned out to be the newspaper delivery man coming down the street. Then he saw Stather's patrol car. The car was still in drive. The engine was still running. The driver's side door was open. Stather's police cruiser had wildly crossed the lawn and crashed into the patio of a home that was across the street from another house that he used to watch on occasion because it had a large Christmas lights display outside. Coral Gables cops always knew they could find Walt there at 4 a.m. Officer Harley found the 45-year-old burly cop lying face down on the wet lawn. According to Harley, it was pretty obvious that he'd been shot in the back of the head and it came through his forehead. He was dead, no life in his body. Basically, all hands on deck, officer down. Now the homeowner said he heard a big crash, looked out the window, and when he looked out, he happened to see a blue flash. And later on he realized what it was. It was actually when Walter Stathers was shot with his own gun, his own service revolver. Now the live-in maid, Bertha Droquette, rushed to her window. She told police a tall, thin black man wearing black pants and a white shirt pedaled away on a 28-inch English model bicycle with a chrome fender. Investigators speculated that Stathers had surprised a prowler. And maybe when Officer Stathers arrived on the scene, he jumped out of his patrol car and forgot to shift the gear into park. 
or maybe he had apprehended the prowler, arrested him, put him in the back of the car, and had stumbled out during a brawl. Stather's arm was bruised and twisted back, and his 357 Colt trooper, his gun, with black stripes set against a white handle, was missing. I said, you what? He said, I just seen the gun. And uh, he said, uh, Jackson got the gun. He said, I got some numbers here. Well, I had not furnished but with the serial numbers of the weapon. And uh, in fact, I, at the time I talked about it, I didn't even have them. But uh, I had received information as to that item, which to look for on the street or in the pawn shops and stuff. Uh, Bubba read off the numbers. I got up out of bed and I went to my forward. And uh, they were low and behold, they were the same damn numbers. I double checked them with Bubba and told Bubba, I said, Bubba, by any means, I said, I don't care about the cost. If you have to pay $500 for the damn gun, I want the gun. Get the gun for me, okay? Now, as the sun rose, officers hunted for the man on the bicycle but found nothing. Dade investigators along with Miami police launched a manhunt. More than 100 tips came in during the first few days. Former Coral Gables Major Richard Bannon, now retired, believes rivalries between Metro Dade and Miami police may have hurt the case. He believes there have been strong suspects over the years and they've always come back to three people from Coconut Grove. Plus they got a hundred other tips, more than a hundred other tips from people that they're adding up together and they do have a big file that has something to do with you. You're not helping yourself today. Major Bannon says this case should not be unsolved. So to get to the bottom of this unsolved murder of a police officer in Coral Gables, I have got on the line now two people who know a lot about it. One of them is a private investigator, David Bolton, and then I also have the former Coral Gables police chief at the time, well, actually it was after the shooting, Jim Butler. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, welcome. One of the suspects, apparently there were four suspects, but one of them that was kind of nuclear radioactive was Robert Jackson, and... He was the one that was implicated by the informant, Bubba Riley, and apparently 35 years later after the crime, he underwent a polygraph, and he didn't do too well. Here's the audio that I got from you, uh, David Bolton, the PI, of that polygraph. I'm not sure who the polygrapher is, but um, he tells a little bit about how Jackson did. I know we have told the truth, and I know we have not told the truth. Now, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to lie about everything. If I thought you were lying about everything, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. Here. Now, I want you to think for a minute. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want you to think for a minute about where you told the truth, where you didn't tell the truth, which question bothered you the most, and then we'll see where we go from here. So all through that thing, he's coughing. I understand that uh, Jackson died of COVID recently. And go ahead on that, David Bolton. Sure, he died August of, uh, of last year of COVID. And just to back up a little bit, Jim had done uh, a polygraph of him. And remember, Karen, Coral Gables doesn't, have, don't, doesn't investigate homicides. They farm that out to the county. So they're the actual investigative agency on this case. But Jim Butler took it upon himself as a sergeant over at the Coral Gables Police Department to have him take a polygraph, which he failed. And then 20 years later, the polygraph that we're listening to now, part of it, is the one that I took him to. And clearly, there was a deception there. And the polygrapher reviewed the polygraph that Jim had, Jim had done 20 years prior and agreed that there was a deception there as well. So apparently, Jim... Uh 
The problem that he had, the most deceptive part, was about the informant, Bubba Riley. Here's the polygraph that was taken on your behest. You know, and I know, that Bubba Riley gave a statement to the police that he saw you with the gun. Hey, let me finish. Let me, let, let, let me finish. Let me finish. Over the telephone, over the telephone, he read off the serial numbers of the gun. And you know what? Those were the right serial numbers. So it's not like he made it up on you. Okay? I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, that does not mean you're guilty of a murder. Oh, you better think about it. On the scene, though, I don't know what we could have got that smart. Honest to God. I'm serious. Honest to God. No. But Bob Riley has never seen me no gun, man. Never. 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 Bob Riley. Never seen me no gun. Well, Chief Butler, what do you have to say about that? He denies that Bubba Riley ever saw him with a gun. Well, he, he, he denies a lot of stuff in his life. You know, he's never... It, the problem we knew going in taking Robert Jackson to a polygraph is his mental conditions, severe psychological problems. Uh, Plus, there was uh, a lot of drug use, too. So, uh, it was... We knew going in that uh, it was going to be a hard issue. We may, we may not get a positive reaction or negative reaction, either or, you know. But apparently, uh, slattery was very strong that he said that Jackson was definitely deceptive. And so, uh, a couple, three, three or four of the questions that he asked. Jim recently found a police report, and remember at that time, just like when any police officers murdered, you get a lot of police officers reaching out to their informants and people they know. But Jim recently found a police report where uh, an independent witness came forward and said that he saw Robert Jackson at the gas station talking to Bubba Riley that night. He doesn't know what they were talking about. He was pumping gas in his car, but that we have that police report as well. So certainly that night they did meet at the gas station, and um, you know we have that with an independent witness as well. So not only do you have John Haywood and Bubba Riley saying that, but you have somebody completely away from them saying that as well. And by the witness. He actually didn't come forward, they had to go out and locate him, but he was also involved with Bubba Riley's family business and everything else. So I, I would, and I recognized his name, somebody that was a, a local criminal type in the Coconut Grove area, lived in the same area, so it, it, it just added credence to what we already thought. But my understanding that, uh, is that everybody was kind of intertwined because apparently Jackson's wife died in Bubba's bed? That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Yeah. What day goes through your mind when I ask you that? Bubba Riley. Bubba Riley. Bubba Riley goes through your mind. Okay. That's the same guy who died in your wife's bed. Yeah. You don't like him too much, do you? Well, regardless, I like him not before, before the end. Before, before. Wow. So there may be a grudge. Mm-hmm. There may be a grudge there. Well, and later on, um, Bubba Riley's daughter, Sandra Riley, ended up dating Robert Jackson. So it's, as you say, it's a very mixed uh, type of friends and family there. When you became part of Coral Gables, and this went unsolved for years and years and years, and you eventually became the chief, what did you do about it? Because apparently Jackson matches the description of the killer. He was seen with Stather's weapon by Bubba Riley hours after, and then they located the bicycle that was seen at the scene at his apartment. How come this guy wasn't under arrest? Well, that's a good question. I think the best that that be directed better at the county because, you know, we still, what we're pushing for now is to verify the information that we think is accurate. And one of them is, even though Slattery said that comment about 
Bubba Riley passing the polygraph, I would really like to see the questions asked and, and, and the results and then see where, you know, when and where Jackson and how, how far they investigated him because, you know, it's incredible that for 54 years he went on, not interviewed by the county on that. So and we just can't go out and, and bring them in and, uh, you know, I, I pushed the envelope. No, I, I wouldn't say push the envelope. It was the right thing to do. There was a lot of dead time a few years in between the, the incident. And it was time to shake it up a little bit and see what was going on because there was a, really a lack of communication between the county, which is not unusual. It happens in a lot of their cases when they're handling the, sh the shootings. It, it's, it is their jurisdiction, but, you know, you're dealing with an agency that lost an officer. You think to be a little more communication involved, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of holes in this thing that could be closed. Maybe if we got copies of the reports and able to read what we want to read, we'd say, well, you know, you're right. There's nothing else to be done, and so be it. But right now, there's a big question mark, and that's that's why David's been pushing so hard, got me involved, in, in the legitimate good questions and areas that need to be ironed out or, or closed, if, if for nothing else, you know, because there was DNA evidence that was lost because of the lab from the county that took the fingernail scrapings off the uh, wolf stabbers' hands. It was ruined and, 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 and lost. So. Wow. The bicycle was lost as well. We don't know where that is. And remember, in that time frame, you had three agencies that were investing in Metro Dade County, and it's really hard to get three agencies to work on something cohesively. And certainly at that time, it was, it was much harder than it is today. But we are requesting at this point to have the file released to us. They have not cooperated, and they are saying that this is an active, uh, ongoing investigation. Really? Well, how can this 54 years later, uh, 20 years ago, I went to the Attorney General. I tried to get the file from the county. They wouldn't give it to me. I went to the Attorney General's office for the state of Florida. They requested the file be released. I requested the file be released through them, and then we were denied. So today they're still holding that same position 54 years later after the murder. There's a lot of people in the private sector, Karen, that have a lot of expertise in these areas. And it's time, you know, this uh, Walter Stadler's, his son now is 74 years old. Six months after his father was killed, he was a 19-year-old boy. Six months later, he was drafted and went to Vietnam. This is an all-American family that's made the ultimate sacrifice and it's time to try and put this together. We've got a lot of people available to help us. And Jim and I are going to take on any of the financial or secretarial needs to put this together and to get a group of experts to come in and look at the file. But we need some cooperation from the other end as well. Um, you know, that's really our, our push here is to try and get a copy of the file, get it released to the public, and so that we can get a hold of it and send it out to some experts and get some groups together that would really um, push to get this resolved. Can you repeat the three agencies that are working on this again? Well, this was at the time when it occurred. You had the, the city of Miami, which John Haywood was a part of. You had Carl Gables Police, which is where the officer worked. And you had Metro Day County, which is the agency that was investigating the homicide. County had total jurisdiction on it. Haywood in the city of Miami, Haywood's involvement was very strong because he had a very good informant, which was Bubba Riley. I told David I, after I got on Gables Police and started working cases, I started using Bubba Riley for source two, and he was pretty reliable. He was one of the better ones. But the county won't give you the file. David and I will have a little disagreement. I don't care about having the files released to us as private individuals, but the file needs to be released 
to the Gables so they can assign a full-time investigator that we can have access to talk to their investigators and give them the information that we believe is pertinent and they can check it off the reports there. Did the FDLE ever get involved in this case? But an FDLE, I think she said it was a female, but that, that makes any difference, came by the house and was talking to him about it and asked him if he still had any of the uniforms that he that his father would have worn that night and anything else, but he had a hat that was, I think, probably the hat that he wore that night. And she ended up taking it to Washington to do, you know, because DNA has evolved a lot since 1967. I took it up there, and I, I don't think they got much off of that. But at one time, supposedly, there was a DNA sample that came out from Stavis's work shirt, uniform shirt, that showed that DNA, it wasn't conclusive, but it showed that it may have come from a, a black Latin background ancestry somehow, but I think that was about. But we don't know that for a fact either. You know, we're just speculating right now. And why they don't, I don't know. I, my number one guess would be, I think they're a little concerned that they've made some mistakes and don't want anybody to know about it, but that's not our intent. All we're looking to is get to the bottom. We're not finger pointing. We just think it's right. This is opened up and it can be finally closed because more than likely everybody involved is dead anyway. But it would put some closure to the Stavis family. And I know that Wayne has said several times to myself and uh, David, and he can tell you uh, more too, that... He's very grateful that this is still, people are still paying attention and it's not forgotten. No. That's his attitude, you know. David? Yeah, it's, according to the son, it's been 15 years since he's heard from the county. Oof. And I don't think it's anything that's been done intentionally, um, but I think it's just a, a systemic problem over at the county where officers are overwhelmed with cases. They're, you know, they're being pulled from one case to another. And going back to something you were saying before, Karen, we went to the county attorney to try and get the file 22 years ago and then went to the attorney general's office for the state of Florida. What happened to the Freedom of Information Act you filed with the FBI for Robert Jackson's file? They stated that there was a file, but they would not release it to us. And then we appealed their decision saying, hey, here's a homeless guy. He's never had a driver's license. He's never had a car. He's never worked a job. He's never owned a piece of property. We don't understand why you won't release, you know, his FBI file to us. But there's a lot of things here that, um, you know, Jim and I have discovered recently that I think would assist the case and certainly anyone who, in the public, who had interest by you and others putting this out. I think, you know, there's a chance that somebody may come forward that has information. There's a $100,000 reward, is there not? Correct. Correct. The city of Coral Gables has a $100,000 reward available for anyone who harms a city employee. Ah. It's a real head-scratcher that the FBI won't give you the file that they have on Jackson. And when I was listening to the polygrapher talking to Jackson, he did reveal that he wasn't able to read. It's amazing that he was able to make it on the streets of Miami for so long and also evade arrest with all of the evidence you guys had against him. And he had no education, no driver's license, no nothing. He'd been arrested. He was a very sharp individual, though. He'd been arrested on three other murders, but never convicted. How is that? And, uh, you know, Jim and I think that the witnesses were just terrified of him. He was an enforcer, and he, uh, he was known to carry a firearm and wasn't afraid to use it. I'd met him about a dozen times, but Jim had run across him in a lot different scenarios at a much younger age, and I think Jim could probably give you a good idea of what uh, what kind of person he is. So he was street smart. 
extremely, and besides they very street smart, he didn't care of the consequences. He was just a violent, violent individual, one of the worst I've ever seen really? since I've been in law enforcement. They, everybody in the grove was scared of him. They wouldn't argue with him. They'd walk away. So uh, you talk about being scared and petrified. It was legitimate for people that would think about coming forward and testifying against him. Who are the other but people he allegedly murdered? Uh, one police report he got in, and I think I sent that to you, Karen. Yeah. One police report he got into an argument with a gentleman on the street, and as the gentleman tried to walk away, he pulled his pistol and shot him three times in the back. Oh. He was left paralyzed, and then uh, there was a couple others, one at a bar where he shot an individual as well as, well as others, and um, I guess they couldn't, according to Jackson, determine whose bullet actually killed him. So that was a problem. But certainly he uh, he was well-known. Coconut Grove at that time was a very close-knit community, and he was well-known and, um, and respected for what he, he was capable of doing. Respect is a bad word. They were terrified of him. I don't know about respecting an individual like that, but you could be scared to death of it, which was legitimate. Karen, Jim and I have worked with a lot of his officer status friends over the years, and this is something that really haunted them. And, you know, it kind of pushed me certainly to get involved 22 years ago and still motivates me today to try and put this thing together and get some closure. The deeper you get into it, the more interesting it becomes. The murder was December 19th, 1967 at about three in the morning, right before Christmas. And he was across the street from a house that was loaded with Christmas lights that he used to swing by and protect. And when the officer came up on the scene, he was really surprised by what he found. The responding officers, too, they uh, they initially had a hard time locating him because the car wasn't, you know, near him. It was it circled around the back of his home and, and it made it much more difficult to locate him. So his vehicle's found with the door open, car running, and he's lying on the grass face down. He's been shot in the back of the head with his own weapon. So that looks like he has detained someone possibly in the back of his car. Could that have been Jackson? That we don't know. And Walter Styler's worked in the daytime as a carpenter and at nighttime as a policeman, so he was a very strong man. And there was always some suspicion that there could have been two individuals involved that night. We don't know if he got one or both in his police car and they, they jumped him while he was in the in the front seat. But we don't know if the actual struggle occurred uh, completely outside and it was only one individual. But one individual was seen by the homeowner and the maid and he was a tall, thin, black male. And they heard commotion and people yelling, and then they saw the black male standing over the officer and saw the flash from the gun, and then they saw the tall, thin black male. He got on the bike and rode away. And he was seen rifling through the officer's pocket. And two other neighbors uh, down the street saw the same thing. They saw a tall, thin black male on an English-style bicycle with a chrome fender driving by their house. So there were a few people that saw things um, Nothing, you know, solid enough to identify an individual, but they, they saw, certainly saw it was a young, tall, thin black male. I don't understand how, so the officer is lying uh, face down, but his car circled around the house, so somehow he was pulled out of the car or something, if it was still going. Or he jumped out very quickly and, um, you know, tried to put it in drive and it didn't go, or, you know, he jumped out very quickly, and, or as I said, maybe he had somebody in the back seat of the vehicle and there was a struggle that occurred and he had, didn't have time to, uh, to put it in park. Wow, that is, it's a crazy scene, right? Just nuts. Yeah. He was basically assassinated. You know, he was down on the ground, face down, and he was shot in the back of the head. It came out his forehead? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yes. 
We don't know if that was with his gun or if the perpetrator had a firearm because his weapon was taken and, and it hasn't been found to this day. So if there were no ballistics, was the bullet nowhere to be found or what happened? They couldn't tell if it was from his weapon? The projectile was not found. It was shot upwards and went out of its forehead from underneath, you know, like he was on the ground or maybe struggling for the gun. Who knows? But um, the weapon that was taken from Stavis was a revolver, so it, the cartridge cartridges that were in the cylinder would not have been ejected automatically. You'd have to manually eject it, pull it open, and dump all the cartridges out. So I don't think that happened. But, but regardless of whether or not bring. his own gun was used against him, Bubba Riley saw Jackson with his gun. Oh, yeah, within hours, but supposedly. It looks like that's what the information that was given to the county. But well, as we say again, we have not had a chance to see the report or, or the polygraph. The only, the only thing we're comfortable on right now is from hearing Slattery repeat to Jackson that, you know, how can I believe you basically when Bob O'Reilly passed the polygraph, you know, because he didn't have an answer for that. Right. And 22 years ago, Karen, you know, I went to the county and, you know, discussed this with the detectives and showed them the video of John Hayward and, you know, they said eventually they would get to Robert Jackson. Well, they never did. What? That's unbelievable. I mean, to leave a suspect who matched the description, who was allegedly seen with a bike or the bike was at his apartment, who allegedly had the gun and showed it to Bubba, who had been arrested or charged with three other murders but never convicted. He had two failed polygraphs, one of them at the time, uh, and they don't want to talk to him? There are numerous, numerous people on the streets in the Coconut Grove area talking it up that the same thing that the, the cops heard is the same thing that the bad guys on the streets heard that Robert Jackson was involved with this. I mean, that's I pretty well known. I think I sent you the police report, Karen, where an officer was talking to a young man that went to Carver Middle School, and he said the kids on the playground were saying that Robert Jackson killed the police officer. Oh. I mean, you, just, you have a lot of information out there that points to Robert, and, um, you know, why he was never interviewed is, is part of the mystery of the case. I think it's the biggest aspect of the case, other than the officer being shot dead. I just don't understand how you cannot even interview him. So county didn't do a polygraph, they didn't interview, they didn't bring him in, they didn't do any kind of warrant, they didn't search his house, they didn't look no, for the no, bike. That's right. And you're talking about Haywood coming forth with, with him. I knew John pretty good. He was opinionated. He could rub people the wrong way. You know, loved him or you hated him. But he was good at what he did. Bubba Riley was one of the better informants in the Coconut Grove area. I think I said earlier, when I came on the job, started working all the crimes down there, I used Bubba Riley a lot because he was right on with the information and, you know, he liked making money and he didn't waste your time, you know, giving you a bunch of false leads and all that. So, you know, there you are with hours after the incident, you got another agency coming in, offering up their best informant. That's why I would really like to see the sequence of the investigation is, did they get to Jackson as an afterthought or was he did investigate him number one because I believe the person I talked to the other day that they were considering this other guy Chubbs James Johnson and he's dead too as uh, the number one suspect but I'm repeating myself and I hate that but I gotta say we don't know you know until we see some of the reports it's frustrating who was James Johnson and why was he a suspect he was a, a violent criminal in the Coconut Grove area. Did a lot of 
lot of burglaries in the city of Miami and the Carl Gables area, and his name came up very quick. So apparently somebody else had some information, and, and he's the type that could have been very good. Could have been the guy who did it. Who knows? But I'm still, until I... But somebody proves me otherwise, and the polygraph is negative, and Bubba Riley was lying. They had the guy. They had the information hours after the incident. Could it have been Jackson and Johnson together? <laughs> it's possible. Did they hang together? They'd been arrested before together. Ah. And the polygraph that was done 20 years ago, he states right there. They had never been spoken to by the county reference to murder with officer status. That's mind-blowing. I want to back up and just ask a simple question. How much money do you pay confidential informants, better known as CIs? Or how much did you pay them back then? Well, it all depends on what type of information. You know, if it's just burglary information, it's 50, 100, 200 bucks. Oh. And if it's a violent, big-time crime, it could go up to a few thousand. I've never, I've never had one with $100,000, and that shows you that... Yeah. Strange that money, money did not motivate people right. to come forward. And ironically, Jim and I had gotten together. We hadn't seen each other or spoken in a couple of decades, really. But we got together on a, a different case. And then we just started talking about this. And Jim and another Colgate's officer, Pablo Garcia, said, You know what? Let's see if we can find Jackson and, and we'll go and talk to him and see if he'll give it up. Or as Jim said, maybe he'll give the money to his family. And that's when we discovered he had died two weeks prior oh. to that. And we, we were going to bring him in and question him again. Yeah. And plus get some better DNA complete, whatever it needed nowadays. So, but too slow, too late, time passes. And Unbelievable. I just, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this rift between the agencies and how damaging it can be to a case like this, especially an officer who shot. You're saying Coral Gables didn't, investigate homicides or what what was the problem you know a lot of agencies are full service with exception of homicides and a lot of them do their own homicide or police shooting now, i will tell you county's got a great reputation homicide would over the years two things they've got great homicide investigators but they also have the best crime lab in florida so they had a lot going for them so the agencies plus this size agencies, it's, a, it's an expensive investigation to do a homicide. You may have to fly investigators to several states and interview people and all that. So a lot of the agencies are very comfortable with the county. Yeah, but I you have the guy that. right there. You don't have to fly anywhere. He's right there on the streets every day. You could talk to him, and that's cost you nothing. You've been a good cop, Karen. You're tenacious. <laughs> it makes me nuts. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's not a lot of murders in Coral Gables. Um, so, you know, as Jim said, the cost versus the return, I think that's, you know, what they were thinking about. Well, you know, multiple costs. you got to put, I can go over litany of them. you got to put the property and hold it forever because if it's open, you can't destroy it because something may come up. You know, the cold case, you sit there, you exhaust it, until you run out of things and then you stand by, keep it open, keep your ears open, your eyes open, and wait for something to drop down out of the sky and give you a lead at the last. So that's, if you read any of these other ones with DNA and, and all the other clearances, that's exactly what happens. Well, it's my understanding with DNA, like you said, the DNA under Stather's fingernails would still be probative. And yep. but So it doesn't have to be kept cold and not necessarily in the DNA on his uniform. You know, even if they are able to somehow replicate it and turn it into like even touch DNA but it just I don't understand why the county 
wouldn't talk to the main suspect, really wouldn't talk to Coral Gables. Uh, it sounds maybe, what was going on? I don't know. Well, I didn't know, but you've only got two cold case detectives over there. There's literally thousands of cases that they're investigating. And um, it's a matter of priority, I think. And a case that's 54 years old isn't going to have the same priority as um, one that's a couple years old where they got, you know, DNA that's available and needs to be processed and looked at the, uh, the genealogy. Right now. I'm talking about back then. That's a very good question. I think egos, attitudes, politics, I think that all was part of the mix, Ken. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't like John Haywood for whatever reason, so whatever he said wasn't the truth. And um, here we are today, 54 years later. So it was John Hayward, who was with the city of Miami, who got Bubba, the informant, to tell him about Jackson. And you're saying because they didn't like Hayward, they didn't talk to Jackson? I think so. Yeah. Speculation is a strong speculation. Wow. I think so. Everyone was going with their own leads and with their own agency. And, um, you know, they were very uh, laser focused on on their own own individual, Chubb Johnson or Robert Jackson or whoever else was on the, uh, the fringes of the case. But interestingly enough, a few months after the murder, Hayward got information that Jackson was involved in a couple of other robberies of a gas station and one of a, a, some type of a supermarket, if I remember correctly. And they were able to um, go to one of the individuals. I think the man that owned the gas station, he said he could identify the person who robbed him. So they did a lineup and he pointed out Robert Jackson and it, that information that Hayward supplied was good enough to get Jackson arrested for the armed robbery. And, you know, it makes it even more confusing, like... Okay, here's uh, information coming from the same two people that's liable. What about the officer's murder? Yeah, so it sounds like there was a rift between county and the city of Miami, and that hurt the case. But this case should not be unsolved, correct? I don't think so. I don't think so. Obviously, you'll get back to me if you do solve it, but what is your hope, and what, what would you like our listeners of the podcast to do for you? Well, we would like to be able to conclusively tell Wayne that our investigation is revealed and pretty comfortable because we closed all the loopholes and the holes in it that Robert Jackson did it. You can't charge him. You can exceptionally clear it by identifying him, but just be able to tell Wayne that we've done everything we can. And, you know, when Jackson died, that was probably the end of the story, but we're not there yet. We need to check a few more things, but we can't do it without the reports. I'd like to have full access to the file myself, send it out to the private sector, I'm also hoping that the family will consider exhuming the body so we can see what's viable there in terms of the fingernail scrapings. And we always have hope, Karen, that some new technology will be developed that either today or, you know, 10 years or 20 years from now, we could go to the officer's clothing or maybe the material that we would get off of the officer's fingernails at this point and be able to conclu- make a, you know, a conclusive uh, case here. And that's... I think that's the reality of the situation, that not everything has been tried that should have been, not everything back then. The same thing is going on today. But there's things we could do today that um, may resolve it today or certainly would set the groundwork for resolution in the future. Was Jackson cremated? I'm assuming he was because he had COVID. Ah, yeah. But he's, he's, he's been arrested many times. I don't know for a fact that there's DNA available on him, but his family members have also had um, been arrested, and I'm sure there's uh, DNA. They've been arrested in the last few years, so I'm sure there's DNA available that would uh, that would help. Boy, so many questions. 
every question I ask you begets more questions. It's just, it, it's so <laughs> that, frustrating. That's the, that's the case. That's what makes it so interesting. <laughs> it's like a rabbit hole. Yeah. Don't, go, don't go down that hole, Karen. You'll never get out. I know. <laughs> I'm stuck now. You guys got me uh, all worked up on this. Really appreciate you helping us on this, Karen. And, yeah, anything more you want to add before I let you go? No, I appreciate, appreciate your involvement because I know that uh, getting it out there. Oh, yeah. And everybody else here, there's still an interest, but uh, people might get involved. Who knows? Yeah, might be the one person who listens to it and says, oh, no, you know, I should have said this, but who knows? No, we can't let another person in blue go down without knowing who did it. No, no, you know, historically, it's, nothing has stopped the police from looking for a cop killer until they get him in custody. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate all the information. And, of course, you dear listener, I will keep you up to date on this case if we get any information. If I'm able to, A, get the file from the county... B, get the family to exhume Officer Stather's body, and C, if we're able to finally put this case to rest. Here's Officer Stather's son, Wayne. Something that you know that could help our family heal from this, I think it would be the right thing to do to, to come forward and put that information out there where it can be useful. And here's also audio from the responding officer, Jim Harley, who became the chief of Coral Gables Police. You know, if you're a police officer and somebody, this is still, I think, the only unsolved police killing in Dade County. And that would be just a highlight of my life right today if this case was solved and somebody was brought to justice. Even if it was solved and the people were already dead, I would still be happy. Until then, that wraps up this episode of Full Rigger. Check me out on Instagram at Full Rigger Podcast. I've got a photo of Officer Stathers there. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>